The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We are here to have the conversations that will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm Rob Haupt. I am your host here, and as well as uh, part of the leadership team at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Uh, we're an organization that is providing ABA services and just other family supports to um, individuals with autism and their, and, and their families. Um, also a BCBA, so board certified behavior analyst and been in the field practicing, working with families for 12 years. I, I, I'm, I feel like every week I say 12 and I, I get all excited when I can finally say 13, uh, and I actually think I'm getting pretty close to 13 <laughs> now that I mention it, which is a little, um, I don't know, a little, a little surprising uh, when, when you look back at, at, at the beginning of, uh, of this long journey. Um, you know, really excited about today's show. Again, trying to tackle some concepts, some topics, some ideas that maybe we haven't covered in the past or, or things that we haven't covered recently. Um, but before we do, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, just uh, an experience I had recently that was was really interesting for me. I think you guys know I've spent the better part of the last three years just all in on the insurance system and, and understanding how ABA gets funded by insurance companies, working with insurance companies to come to clear understanding of, of what we do, how we do it, um, why it should be funded, and have been really lucky in developing a lot of really great collaborative relationships with parents, with, with organizations, with some insurance companies, with other professionals just along the way, and had an opportunity, was invited to speak to a, uh, a large parent group in, uh, in Washington, and was really excited, was really excited to talk about some, some changes that were going there in the state and some, some new things, and what we ended up talking about, as much as we talked about the new stuff and some changes in terms of settlement agreements and legislation, we spent a lot of time actually talking about the old and, and where things had been. And I met this really, really cool dad, um, really interesting guy. He, he had been through this process, this system, um, quite extensively, and he'd been going through it for years. And he was highly involved in a lot of the, the different um, I should say, uh, legal cases and, and things that were happening in the state. And, you know, after three years, I feel like I've gotten to understand this system pretty well. I don't think anyone understands it perfectly, but I, I get it pretty well. And I've been able to really provide a lot of support to a lot of different families uh, across the country, or especially to families 
in, in some specific communities who then have plans that are governed by all these different states across the country. And he just said to me, he's like, he, he almost said to me, my entire presentation, my entire talk, he said, the last thing I said was probably the most important thing, and it should be the first thing I say, and the thing I say every single time. Because after so many years of going through this, what he reminded me is that this is such a complicated, intricate process. It's so different to take something that historically has been viewed as a therapeutic service and now look at it from a, a more of a medical model point of view. It's like a parent trying to go through this on their own for the very first time is going to have the hardest path, the hardest road possible. And his whole point was the fact that there's people out there who understand this and who want to help families should be the first thing discussed because it is so hard to do it by himself. Right? And that's what he said from his own experiences when it was just him and his family. And the idea of you know, someone like me, someone like um, the, a woman who, who helps co-sponsor this event, who have actually has the ability to say, here's 50 families who I've worked with and supported. Let's all pool our experiences. Let's all pool our knowledge from 50 individual cases to be able to then apply to the 51st and the 52nd and, and so forth. But that is something that, that parents need to know more about. They need to be more aware of, of that history and how you can apply precedent from a previous case to a future case. And it just really put everything into a different context for me. And it's ever since this conversation, I feel like I talk about insurance completely differently from the idea of just the way partnerships need to be created. And and it's not so much you know partnerships like we think about you know from a business point of view, just from the idea of just support and resources and how just these links we have can really allow us to learn from one another, even if we're not directly communicating. You know, one parent's experience through me and through someone else can now lead to education for a whole other set of families in a whole other state doing a whole other um, type of process with an insurance company. And, and that just really felt very powerful. It felt like something I've been missing um, and, and something I want to talk a lot more about on the show um, and in uh, in our video blogs as as we move forward in, in the coming months, especially now that open enrollment is is right here and right around the corner, it feels like a, a real critical time to to hit this and to talk about this. Um, okay, talked insurance, we got that cool experience out, um, but now I want to get to our guest, and I am I'm really excited to be uh, to be I guess rejoined uh, by. By Mary Jane Weiss, who uh, who was with us uh, last year, uh, right around the time of Calaba. Um, just to remind you guys, um, Mary Jane is um, is a professor at Endicott College, where she directs the master's program in applied behavior analysis and autism. On top of that, she's also the executive director of research at Melmark. Um, Dr. Weiss has worked in the field of ABA and autism for over 25 years. She received her PhD in clinical psychology from Rutgers University in 1990 and became a board-certified behavior analyst in 2000. She previously worked for 16 years at the Douglas Developmental Disability Center at Rutgers University, where she served as director of research and training and as clinical director. Her clinical and research interests center on defining best practices of ABA techniques, evaluating the impact of ABA in learners with autism, teaching social skills to learners with autism, training staff to be 
optimally effective at instruction and maximizing family members' expertise and adaptation. Mary Jane, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here again. Yeah, it's it's so great. I was really excited. I, I even sat, talked about it on the previous show. I was like, when I saw your name as as one of our upcoming guests, I was just brought a big smile to my face. I enjoyed having you last time. I felt like we just we just had a great connection, especially right around that Calava conference. Thank you. I felt the same way. I really enjoyed being part of the show, and I was happy to be asked back. Well, I'm glad to, to have you talking about something that we haven't done too much with, um, but. I remember the last time we, we spoke and, and, and some of the, the conversations since then, you know, we were reminded that you, you wrote a really interesting book um, a while back, or I don't know if you wrote or edited it, but uh, a book talking about siblings. And if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's called Sibling Stories, Reflections on Life with a Brother or Sister on the Autism Spectrum. And it consisted of first-person accounts of siblings talking about their experiences. Yes. Um, that book, actually, I, um, I co-wrote with Lynn Stern-Figus, who is herself a sibling of, um, of two individuals with autism. And she had conducted um, many of those interviews, and together she and I put together um, the story kind of thematically in terms of what, what siblings can tell us looking retrospectively back at their experience of growing up in a family with a brother or sister with autism. And um, it was a really interesting project, and we learned a lot, and I'm happy to share what we found out. So just to kind of give everyone some context about just about it and, and kind of who you guys spoke to or, or heard from, were you, you were talking about people talking retrospectively about their experiences. Were the siblings people who were much older who are now adults, or were you talking to um, kids who are maybe a little bit older in adolescence or teenage years as well? We were generally speaking to adults. Um, a couple of them were older adolescents, but most of them were adults, and so it was kind of different from, from some of the other resources that are out there, which are also incredibly valuable and wonderful, that talk about kind of the developmental understanding mm-hmm. of kids at different stages. There's a book by Sandra Harris and Beth Glassberg, for example, that's excellent in that context. This was a little different from that in that we were focused more on adults, and, and they spoke to somewhat different issues in terms of the emotional impact and the decisions that it influenced in their adult lives. Got it. So what were, I mean, you talked about some of the things that you you learned. Were, like, were there some real common themes or, or common decisions that they made in those adult lives reflecting back? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that was so interesting about it is the variability. And, you know, that shouldn't really surprise us, right, because we all respond to every event in our lives as individuals, and and those responses are as varied as all of us are in every other aspect of our lives. But it was really startling um, in terms of the level of difference that people had across responses. Um, So, for example, you might take an issue like involvement and how involved they stayed as adults with their brother or sister who had autism, and some individuals were intensely involved in serving as their um, advocates and, and even taking over, you know, legal uh, authority from elderly parents, and some individuals felt that they really could do very little, and, and part of what came across was just this intense difference in what people's needs and expectations were. 
I immediately think about this idea of like how how involved someone was versus how not involved they were. I think you, you mentioned that there. You know, is that was that a big correlation of the people who stayed really involved and maybe took on legal? Was that something where this is a child who was heavily involved, or or was there no correlation between those types of things? You know, it's interesting. In some ways, it seemed like there were individuals who always were born to kind of be involved. Um, that that always took on a very intense interest even as a child that worried about family impact and were aware of ways in which their parents might be struggling in times when things weren't going as smoothly for their brother or sister with autism. And often those individuals chose to remain at high levels of involvement and in some cases even experienced a lot of of guilt or anxiety about making decisions that would not enable them to be as involved as maybe they wanted to be. You know, should they take a job in another part of the country, for example? Um, those kinds of issues. And many many of the individuals that, that we talked with really wanted to stay close and connected and involved. Um, on the other hand, there were some individuals who, um, who always had a little bit more of a, um, of a difficult relationship in that context or who sometimes felt imposed upon. And so one of the themes is, you know, to what extent are we as parents and professionals who are involved with these siblings as they're growing up helping to ensure that we're providing them with the best kinds of experiences and the appropriate amount of space to figure those things out. For example, there were some people who expressed feeling um, kind of parentified, that they were given an awful lot of responsibility for things maybe before they were able to maturely accept those kinds of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, we sometimes saw them have a more difficult relationship with the level of involvement and responsibility long term. So part of it is about, as parents, monitoring that and, and ensuring that we're not um, either overtly or subtly sending a, a message of, of too much expectation and letting individuals find that level of their own accord. Got it. Well, we've got a, a commercial break we've got to take, and I feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface of this, this really important topic. So let's take a break, and we'll be back with Mary Jane Weiss. Friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. 
call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Rob Haupt here, joined today by Mary Jane Weiss, and we're talking about uh, sibling experiences. And, um, you know, right before the break, you were, you were kind of giving us the lowdown on the book and some of the initial things that you heard and saw in, in speaking to all these different individuals. And one of the things I was curious about is, you know, you, you're talking about how much responsibility you're talking about, how early to get a sibling involved. You know, one of the things I was curious about is if there was any insight into the types of things siblings did. And, and I kind of put my BCBA cap on for a second and think, is there a difference between a sibling being asked to be an active like babysitter versus a sibling who's maybe participating in a therapy session who has maybe given more tools, and if you if that was something you came across, or, or, and if there was any impact on that, that's a great question. And you know, I think that's one of the ways that things have changed in the field for siblings of people with autism in a terrific way. A lot of the people that we were talking to um, were dealing with siblings who were not diagnosed at the young ages that we're now diagnosing children, mm-hmm. and um, were not necessarily. Um, given the kinds of tools that we now equip siblings with. And so a lot of their experiences were, were circumstances in which they, they felt ineffective, for lack of a better word, where they weren't particularly successful in getting their brother or sister with autism to play with them, to respond to them. Many of their interactions might have either kind of fallen short and not gotten much of a response, or 
they were in situations where they were seeing challenging behaviors and, and weren't sure what to do and in, in some cases might have been frightened in those circumstances. And, you know, one of the great changes that's happened as a result of early diagnosis and so many um, early intensive behavioral intervention programs being mm-hmm. offered to individuals with autism is that generally we as professionals are, are encountering these siblings at much earlier stages of their families' lives and um, and the sibling relationships. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that really helps, and we know this not necessarily from this project but from lots of other literature that's been done on siblings um, of individuals with autism, is that they're tremendously helped by learning skills that are empowering for them. You know, if they mm-hmm. can be taught to... What's the most effective way to um, interact with your brother or sister? Make sure they're looking at you before you talk to them. Make sure you reward them and tell them they're doing a good job. You know, do things with them that they really love to do. Join them in their favorite activities. You know, we've learned so much about the context and the circumstances in which mm-hmm. much more positive sibling relationships are likely to occur. And that's a terrific change. And that's given, I think, today's siblings much more information and much more effectiveness in their interactions with their siblings with autism. And so I think some of the negative emotional consequences of those earlier times are preventable um, because of the early detection and diagnosis and because of um, the possibility for involving siblings in intervention at much earlier points. You know, many individuals with autism who are in home-based programs of some kind now have opportunities, built-in opportunities, for siblings to join parts of those sessions and to, at the same time that the child with autism is being helped to develop social skills, um, they're also learning how to effectively interact with their brother or sister in ways that are likely to increase future better interactions Mm -hmm. between them. And as a side benefit to that, I would say that I've known a lot of siblings of individuals with autism who experience some jealousy, for lack of a better word, about the attention that an individual with autism gets from all the instructors in their lives. And, you know, if you think about a home-based program where these adults come in with bags of toys and disappear into a room with Mm -hmm. the child with autism and seem to do all kinds of fun things, um, sometimes involving them and letting them see what happens in those sessions is, is really instructive. For one thing, they learn that it's not all fun and games and that their brother or sister is working pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I've seen a few times, uh, particularly for some reason with little girls, you know, the, either the older sister more often than not is almost like the junior therapist, and they get to come into the room and be like the junior interventionist, and they'll right. participate, like you said, and it's so interesting how... You know, some of them have, I've even seen one little girl had her own little clipboard and she was taking data <laughs> and it was like, it was a snap of the fingers change where this little girl felt excluded from everything. And now she felt like I am part of this session. I'm included. And a lot of those kind of neglected, um, maybe left out emotions you were describing really went away and exactly. it was like a different kid. Exactly. And again, that, there's variability there, too. There are the kids who want to come in with clipboards. There are the kids who want to come in only to play. There are the kids who aren't that excited about it. And so we've got to watch for what's going to match that particular sibling's mm-hmm. needs and interests. 
but absolutely, I've seen the same kinds of things. It's funny. It's like you have to do a preference assessment on the child you're providing the treatment to, but now you have to do a preference assessment on the sibling to figure out what's going to reinforce and motivate them as you include them. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's the awesomeness of ABA. It's, you know, it's always applying it again and again and again to, uh, to a different set of circumstances and people. Exactly. Um, you know, you talked about, you know, I think you kind of touched on this, but it's something I just want to make sure we went back to is, I know in the beginning you were talking about children, and as these adults you had spoken to, it's they felt this, um, you know, they were thinking about, should I take this job? Um, I'm assuming, should I go to college here and the distance and the impact? Does, I wonder, is this for these siblings who are now participating in interventions, who are learning skills, learning strategies, is there also a sense of, I'm helping my parents? Um, I wonder about like a 10-year-old sibling who's participating in an intervention maybe for their 5-year-old little brother, and do they also then, is it not just, I'm helping my brother, is it a way of almost helping their parents and doing their part in, a, in an indirect way? I, I think that's definitely true. I think one thing that, that we learned in our interviews and also has been supported in other places is that siblings are extremely aware of parental uh, coping and parental adaptation. Whether or not it's really talked about explicitly in the family, mm-hmm. they, they very carefully observe the levels of stress in their parents. They often figure out what the issues are in terms of, of worry about the child with autism, and, and they are trying to make things better across the entire family unit. And so um, I think that often they, they see those ancillary benefits, too, and that's, that's excellent. That's good. That's good for the whole family, and everybody's kind of united in an effort. But it's something that, as parents, we also want to watch because we want to make sure that they're not doing too much caretaking of parents mm-hmm. and, and and ensuring that what they're doing is motivating and fulfilling for them for their own sakes. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. You know, and and again, to kind of focus on this sibling and and how to, uh, I guess, to confront or or to. Uh, uh, adapt to maybe some of these different emotions. Did you get any, whether through the, the conversations you had or some of the research done since, you know, I think too, like other activities, this is a trap. Tra- my sibling has someone to come especially for them. And it's great that I'm included, but was there any dialogue or any sense of having a sibling have someone come especially for them? Maybe it's a, a coach, especially coming in for a sports thing, or maybe a tutor coming in for academics um, any insight or, or any conversations come up in that regard? Interesting. I don't, I don't think that that exactly came up in the interviews that we had, but I think that that's an interesting problem-solving strategy that a family could engage in and parents could speculate about. Certainly we know from the stress and coping literature that, that those kinds of supports, you know, key adults in a child's life, really, really is a boost for any child in a stressful cir- circumstance. And, and sometimes a support from outside the family can be particularly helpful because of their objectivity and the fact that they're not, you know, uh, in the exact same circumstance day in and day out. Um, and I do think that kind of thinking about the siblings' needs 
of their own accord is really important. So we have to look mm-hmm. at the sibling not just as the brother or sister of the child with autism, but also look at them in terms of the broad lens of their lives and are they getting their needs met? Are there special things we could do that would fill some of their needs, either from those kinds of jealousy issues that you bring up or even just in terms of their own anxiety. One of the things that came up very often in in the themes and has been replicated in a lot of other work too is, you know, there's a lot of stress and worry sometimes um, among siblings about the unpredictability of the behaviors exhibited by individuals with autism. If I have a friend over, is he going to have a tantrum? If my mom comes to my dance recital, is she going to be out in the lobby taking care of my brother because he has a meltdown? And those kinds of issues came out very loud and very clear Mm. and have been repeated in other people's research projects and descriptive studies, too, that that those kinds of worries about embarrassment, about is my, is my parent going to be distracted and not really present for me in my special moment. And one of the things that's been talked about clinically a lot in those contexts is, you know, it's okay to make a family decision that maybe the child with autism doesn't have to attend the dance recital. And that's not excluding him. It's in everybody's best interest. Maybe that wouldn't be a highly preferred activity for the individual with autism. Maybe the stress and worry for the typically developing child who just deserves to have a night of feeling special, you know, maybe that anxiety would be eliminated in a really good way for the whole family. And maybe the stress would be off the parents, too, where they really can just be there for the other child. And so those Mm -hmm. kinds of decisions, I think, you know, are things that we might not always contemplate and we might feel guilty about contemplating, but they really might be in everyone's best interest. And so some flexibility and openness to thinking through each circumstance uniquely is really a good idea. That is that is a really great point. I, I wasn't even thinking in that vein, but that makes so much sense. I wanna let let's let's kind of take a break on that one and let us all kind of think about that a bit more because I think that's important. Um, we'll take a second commercial break and come back more with uh, Dr. Mary Jane Weiss. it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. If you think you've seen online TV before... 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. All right. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. Joined by uh, Dr. Mary Jane Weiss today. Um, you know, I, I mean, we just picked up talking right away during that break. I just, I think that last point you made is just such so important. You know, I, I immediately said to you, I, I think about being 13 and how hard it is to have a big game or, or have a dance recital and the social pressures you feel and to then add on maybe the social pressures and the potential embarrassment and how it's okay. Like you said it, it's okay to maybe have the sibling stay at home, the child with, with autism stay at home for that event. It's not there's no judgment there. There's no, it's not about lack of love. It's, it's almost support, if I hear you correctly. Exactly. And I think that often what happens is that people feel a significant amount of guilt about even contemplating making a decision like that, or they focus on how it might be, you know, excluding the individual with autism, but it is okay. It's often in everybody's best interest to be able to to be flexible about those kinds of things. And you, ha- you have to think about that kid, you know, that middle schooler who has their special day or whatever it is, you know, they're, they're entitled to just go and think about their event and have their parents cheering them on, you know, and that, that is, that's something for families to consider too is, is the needs of that individual in that context. And, and I think that often it's the kindest decision for the person with autism too because sometimes those experiences are very hard to comprehend, very overwhelming from a sensory perspective, mm-hmm. unpleasant, and, and maybe not even something that they fully understand. And so we've got to you know, kind of move back from it a little bit and look at it a little bit more objectively to make the best decision. Yeah, like you, you made me think of this um, former client of mine. He's 16 now. His, his little sister is 13. And she actually speaks at a lot of different conferences. And he's very active in a lot of activities. And, and thinking back, there was a lot of activities that she went to that he didn't and activities that he went to that she didn't. And it was almost like the whole family is really was completely comfortable with that. And I wonder if that's made it easier for her to be comfortable with those boundaries of, you know, my brother's not going to come to this, but that's okay. Or I don't have to come to his thing, and that's okay. We can almost have a little bit of our own space. And at thirteen, sixteen, I wonder, like, how critical is that probably to their relationship? Like, how many... Absolutely. And, and it really reduces negative emotions in the long run, like resentment. 
you know, and so I think one thing that parents can definitely do is be open to those kinds of conversations to make it okay for the sibling mm-hmm. to voice concerns and to make requests of that nature. And and one thing that, that came across in the work that we did is, is very much that um, that to the extent that families were able to be open, to talk about things, to revisit topics, all of that is associated with much better coping in the long run for siblings. Mm, yeah, that makes... I mean, that just that just makes sense. The more open you are, the easier it is to to handle and to process and deal with it. Absolutely. Did you? I'm curious about just you know. There's this whole other social piece. I, I'm. I, I think about um, um, whether it be, I guess, protectiveness. Whether it be just you know, when you're again going to 13, there's a lot of social pressures, and I'm curious. Were you able to find this like this translation to like the world? We've been focused on this internal family unit, but there's all these people around. Were were some of these coping strategies able to then expand to hey, now I have a circle of friends, but they're also embracing, and and did did this impact the type of friends that siblings would select, um, particularly in a positive way? Um, that's an interesting question. I will say that um, those themes, those fears, are pretty uh, prominent among siblings of individuals with autism. There, there's a lot of embarrassment. You know, it's embarrassing to be 13, period. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they are so prone to feeling um, social pressures and to feeling, you know, on the spot and to be um, embarrassed by just, just about anything. Anything. <laughs> and so anything that makes you overtly different and distinct from your peers is really problematic for a teenager. Mm. Um, and you take something as, as huge as having a sibling with autism and as unpredictable um, in many ways. And, and yeah, that's, that was a very significant issue in terms of the level of embarrassment and the level of worry. And, and many times siblings shared how it restricted them in terms of that. But the people also did... Um, just to transition a little bit to the positive, people did also talk about learning to find the people who could be genuine friends, who could see past this, who could understand. A lot of times, one of the concrete things that we can help these um, kids and teenagers with is they need help explaining autism to other people. Uh, They don't always have the language to explain it or... Um, effective ways to kind of translate it to their age peers. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we can do as parents and professionals is, is give them more help with that and, and give them more language to approach others with. Mm. Yeah. I, to, to go back a second, you know, to the, the social, and I, I, I've always had a hypothesis, and I'm curious if this if this compares, like you said, maybe um, there's a conversation, maybe it's about some of these siblings are, are selecting their friends a little differently, but I've always wondered, it, it, does that lead to better friendships? I mean, looking beyond 13, looking beyond 14, looking at it from a longer lens, you know, I think back to like the superficial friendships that you have in at the 13, 15, you know, middle school, high school ages, and I think to like the people who how people connect, what your relationships are based on, and then who has long-lasting friendships now in adulthood. And 
the people who I had those superficial, oh yeah, you know, we're we're on this team together and we're friends because it's cool to be on this team versus we have a, a, a deeper understanding of one another and how much more longer lasting those friendships are. I, I'm almost curious and my hypothesis has always been if if you can meet someone who can accept you on a on a little bit of a deeper level, not just you as a person, but your whole family as well, does that lead to a stronger friendship twenty years later? That's really interesting, and um, you know, I think I think there is some support for that in some of what we found on in the interviews that we did with the adults. One of the things um, that they talk about is about kind of qualities that they that they believe they possess and that they came to value much more mm. intensely in others, things like compassion, uh, openness to diversity, being non-judgmental. Um, a lot of these adults kind of self-recognize that they are considerably more so those things than most people and that they attribute their own kind of compassion and openness to diversity and understanding of difference to the experience of being a sibling of a person with autism, and they talk about how those are the qualities they look for and value in others, including friends. Um, and so that's kind of an interesting twist in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, I think for parents, I, I love that part of the message because I think they worry so much about all the negative ways in which this might influence the lives of their typically developing children, and they probably very rarely think about the ways in which it might strengthen them and make their lives richer, but but that's what siblings talk about. Um, in addition mm-hmm. to talking about the stressors, they very much talk about the ways in which this has made them individually a better person. Um, this has really increased their commitment to or given them a sense of mission about changing the world for the better. Uh, many of them go into helping professions uh, to a much a much higher percentage of them do that than typically developing people, and mm. most of them link that to the experience of being a, a sibling of a person with autism. You know, and in see, many ways, they're really making the world a better place. When I hear these attributes, and I think to myself at seventeen, eighteen, leaving home, going to college, and I went out of my way to find a place. Because I felt I lacked some of those things, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go someplace. Diversity. Um, I didn't feel like I was accepting enough of. I felt like I, things you said I wanted more of in my life, and I had to go out of my way to get it. Versus, you know, versus someone who's now able to be really clear on it because of these amazing, although challenging, early experiences. I, I think that's really interesting, and it's it's underrated. You know, it's underrated, and it comes kind of naturally as a consequence yeah. of the experience, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. It is amazing. And, you know, I think I'm now I'm thinking of this 13-year-old girl. I'm like, I wonder what she's going to do. I, at 20 years old, where is she going to be going to college? What's she going to be majoring in? What's she going to be passionate about? And how much of her brother shaped that? And her parents involving her in the way that they did shaped all of that. I'm I'm, I'd be so curious to see that now. Absolutely. And, and it is kind of interesting. Just recently in the last few years, there's actually been some research studies looking at um, the percentage of these individuals that go into the helping professions, and there's some preliminary data suggesting it really is extraordinarily more than in the typical population. 
And then I wonder how far, you know, I would love to see the next level of that because my curiosity would be how many of them go on not just to be in helping professions, but to be leaders in helping professions, you know, training others, guiding others, uh, you know, having like an even greater impact than just working with uh, an individual, um, but like shaping how a whole team of people work with individuals. Absolutely. I think that'd be fascinating. And I bet we will know that in the years to come. Oh, that's so exciting. That That is really exciting. For, for After doing this and being in homes for 12 years, because most of what I do is, is home-based. I do very, very little clinic-based. So I, I feel like I see so many families. And so it's I, I, I keep picturing all these different people as we're talking. It's like I have different faces that I'm picturing. And so to hear that, it's like, oh, the, you know, how are they going to shape? I'm thinking of these little kids who are now maybe shaping what, what we end up doing as BCBAs, you know, 30 years from now is one of these little kids going to, you know, discover something, research something, lead our field in something all because of these early experiences and, and just how special that'll be. Very possibly. Well, we got to take another break. Um, so let's take our final commercial break and then we'll come back more with Mary Jane Weiss. decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Final segment here on Autism Spectrum Radio. Um, joined today by Mary Jane Weiss talking about just the sibling experience, what, different experiences, different interactions um, that siblings have a, uh, a 
counted or, or recounted to her um, and just what the research is showing us. Um, you know, you touched upon some of the positives before the break, but I, I feel like there's, as you've alluded to, there's more positives than just the service and the helping services um, that siblings have expressed and experienced. So I was hoping you could share more about any other positives that we haven't touched upon yet. The challenging aspects of this and, and the negative consequences of it, and it's so important to spend time talking about the affirmative aspects and the positive aspects, and siblings are very, very clear in communicating that. And one of the things um, is the sense of kind of strength or um, an ability to understand that we are strengthened by adversity. And lots of the siblings that we interviewed talked about the benefits of going through hard times, of seeing their parents go through hard times, um, and of understanding that part of what gives us strength and resilience is being able to cope with challenges and go through difficult times. And it gave them a perspective on, um, on those experiences that most people don't have and, and most of the individuals that we talked to saw themselves as, as unusually strong and having um, that perspective by virtue of those experiences to a much greater extent than one can have if you haven't actually endured some of those experiences. So I think that's a, a really important one. Um, another one is, um, is a commitment to family. A lot of them said that there was sort of a solidifying effect of the adversity of it, you know, that it brought them together as a family in a way that, that focused their efforts, helped them to understand what was important, helped them to not attend to the unimportant details and to kind of come together in a way that um, that was really positive for the entire family as a unit. And sometimes as an offshoot of that, they also talked about, you know, they learned about the importance of advocacy, of, of sticking up for and speaking up for the family member who maybe couldn't do that for themselves. Um, I remember one person said, you know, that their brother with autism was the glue um, to the family and kind of shaped everything about how, um, how everyone thought and what they put their energy into. And then another final positive that I would point to is, you know, the amount of joy that they took from their relationship with their sibling with autism, that, that they were extremely proud of the accomplishments and achievements and changes that their brothers or sisters with autism were, um, were able to make. And they were also very appreciative of, of the really unique qualities that their sibling possessed and, um, and took that really to heart and, and really enjoyed and cherished certain aspects of their siblings. And, and I think that, that those are such important messages to us as parents and professionals um, and should, you know, be comforting when we consider the challenges they face. We have to consider the gifts that they're given as a result of the experience, too. Yeah, I- the the thing that's really sticking with me with what you just said is just the the sense of family, and I for some reason I have this this image. I, I when I was probably in high school, I feel like there was a lot of talk about you know you read these new articles or see these news stories about the American family doesn't spend as much time together or appreciate one another, and you know 
everyone, the boys are playing video games and little girls are in their rooms and you just, everyone goes to like their own room and no one has a sense of unity and closeness. And I don't feel like I've, I've seen anything that has kind of made me think, oh, we, we as families aren't as close as we might have been 30 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe like when my parents were, were growing up. And to hear that these families have that, these siblings have that, this, this closeness, um, that seems really special. That feels really counterintuitive to maybe quote-unquote American society. And, and what they're experiencing. That's interesting. And I think, yeah, I think, you know, it's, um, it, it helps them focus on, on what's important and it gives them a shared mission in a way yeah. that, that maybe, you know, other families aren't handed so automatically and, and maybe struggle mm-hmm. more to achieve. And, and I think that that is, that is an added hidden benefit that maybe never gets recognized. Yeah, because fam- I mean, I think of my family and... The easy, like the good stuff, is easy. It's it's when you're all mad at each other, or you're stressed with because of one another, or something happened that, like, family becomes family. And it's like you said, if you already are exposed to certain coping strategies and and supports because of just the way your family is structured, whether it be autism or anything else, does that does that shape things differently? And does that already teach you to work in the hard times, not just the good times? Exactly. Very cool. Well, we're out of time. Um, just uh, for our listeners out there, um, in case anyone wants to just keep up to what you're doing, uh, maybe reach out to you if they had questions, what's the best way for them to, uh, to follow up? Uh, the best way to contact me is probably my email address at Endicott College, which is mweiss, M-W-E-I-S-S, at endicott.edu. And I love hearing from people, and I'd be happy to answer any questions or thoughts that people might want to share. Wonderful. And hopefully, um, I, I don't know if you're going to come back out to California for Calaba, but um, I'm coming out to uh, New Orleans for APBA, and I, I hope to see you there, and if not, Calaba before then. Thanks. I hope our paths cross again. It's always nice talking I've, with you. You too. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. A um, couple minutes left here. Just, um, just want to kind of close up. I, I feel like I don't know. I feel like I I got a lot of that out of that conversation. As I said, I keep seeing faces. I keep seeing little kids who maybe I worked with five years ago. Some of them I worked with seven years ago, um, and feel really good. Really optimistic about. What, what the future holds and, and how much of a positive impact they can have just for their own families as well as maybe for the rest of us. Um, it's really, it's really interesting to think about all of this. And, and as, as Mary Jane said, you know, not just focus on the negatives that we tend to, but recognize how many positives there are as well. Um, a couple of shows just to point out for you. Um, you know, we had a show uh, on May 14th, 2013, and that was uh, with the uh, editors of Chicken Soup for the Soul, Raising Kids on the Spectrum. That was actually when uh, Dr. Chang filled in for me, Uh, so that's a great show to follow up with. And then Mary Jane was on our show um, back in February of 2013, February 26th to be exact. Um, So if you're interested in in our last conversation, it was very different. We kind of 
opened up the curtain, showed everyone behind, you know, the backstage of, of ABA and kind of the things we talk about, especially at conferences. So it's a, a different show, but I think every bit is interesting and informative. Um, just to rehash one just opening thought is open enrollment is around the corner and now's the perfect time to make sure you talk to your HR department, understand your benefits. Don't just assume that everything is the same. Things do change year to year. Your employer may make some changes. A lot of the questions I get right now are about the Affordable Care Act and how is that going to change insurance coverage. Well, there's a lot of things that are still a little bit unclear, but one thing we know for sure is there are a small number of employers who have said they were going to restructure their plan. This may mean your coverage is a little different. You may go from a fully insured plan to a self-insured plan. Double check with your HR department. Ask that question. Is our plan fully insured or is it self-insured? And if you already knew the answer from the previous year, ask if there's any changes to that. That's going to be the, the first key question to understanding, is everything staying the same? Then from there, ask about ABA benefits or, or whatever autism uh, treatment benefit that you're looking at and, and want to just verify will be in place for the coming year. Don't want to see anyone have gaps in services. Don't want anyone to unexpectedly lose anything. And then once you do that, double check the financial stuff too, deductibles, co-pays, et cetera. As always, um, if you guys have questions, if you um, have comments, autismtherapies.com is our website. You can listen to old shows. There's a way to post some comments there. You can email us at moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. And then our Facebook page is where so many of you go to post comments, likes, interests. Feel free to do the same there because uh, that leads to a, a whole other level of conversation, which is always fun with, uh, with our community. Hope you guys have a fabulous week. Have a fabulous weekend. Uh, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. So hope you guys are getting prepared for that. I know it's uh, a little stressful when, when the family comes together. Uh, mine is no different, but, uh, but it's always enjoyable too. So I will talk to you before then, but an early happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk next week. Take care, everyone. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.